This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. Hi, I'm John McElroy, and welcome to AutoLine This Week. Today's topic, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity in the automotive industry. We're actually coming to you today from downtown Detroit at the Auto ISAC Annual Conference. What's an Auto ISAC? We'll get into that in a minute. But let me introduce to you today the three cybersecurity experts that I've got on my panel. Sitting next to me is Al Adams from General Motors. Next to him is Robert Kastner from Robert Bosch. And next to him is Stephen McKnight from Stellantis. And thanks for joining me on the panel today. Uh, Al, let me start with you just to get the conversation going. The public's very aware of cybersecurity attacks, ransomware attacks. We've seen hospitals shut down. We've seen an oil energy company shut down. We've seen all kinds of things. Now I want to know what's going on in the automotive industry. How bad is it out there? <laughs> uh, uh, I appreciate this, John. Uh, and, and it's a great opportunity to talk to you on this topic. Uh, as it relates to the automotive industry, certainly we've seen uh, attacks and threat actors uh, impact uh, especially IT systems of, of companies. We've seen uh, some uh, activity in OT systems as well, in, in the manufacturing systems. Uh, we haven't seen a lot uh, in the product space. However, what we always prescribe to is, is a, a mindset of not if but when. So we are always uh, on the lookout for that threat that might come into our space, uh, putting to, to in place uh, the security controls, the requirements, uh, the incident response uh, plans and processes and playbooks, and being able to respond when that time comes. So uh, that's what we are doing as an industry today. Okay, Stephen, same question. You're, you're with Stellantis, car company. Mm -hmm. Maybe we haven't seen as many attacks on cars because not as many of them are connected. But the industry is going to connected cars. How do you assess the threat? We've had connected cars for 25 years. We've learned from some of the past you know, occurrences. Um, there's controls that we have outside of the car that actually helps limit against the connected attack, um, as well as controls activated on devices that provide Bluetooth cellular. We are constantly looking at this. We're engaged from concept and responsible all the way through to, to disposal of that vehicle. So um, when it comes down to this, as Al mentioned, we are on the ready. We're interacting with our business teams as to what new use cases they want to bring into the automobile. And we're, we're thinking about this and, and working actively to put the appropriate controls and in that's, I think one of the big things that we're doing at the Auto Isaac too is to say work through some of what the ideal case would be when we have a real cyber incident. How do we want to perform or what do we want to do? And we're working through the, say, the hard questions and building trust and a relationship so that we can, when there is an issue, that we know the right people, we have the processes worked out internally for how to communicate with our customers or our competitors, our suppliers and to treat it as an industry as a whole rather than as a company all by themselves. So Robert, going deeper into that, Auto ISAC, uh, Information Sharing and Assessment Center is yep. what ISAC stands for. Yep. Now there's an Auto ISAC, mm -hmm. but what the heck is it? Um, it's specifically targeted towards uh, security issues that we see in the automobile sector. And if you 
have an issue that happens inside the car, the, ideally what would, we would want to do would be that the company that's affected could be working on it, checking with some of our other partners and saying, do you see this? Is this something that you're seeing as well? And try to figure out quickly what's going on and come up with a fix for it and roll it out. That's our, I think our end goal is to have that uh, trust so that we treat it as an industry rather than as an individual company. So Al, uh, what Robert's saying here, if I understand correctly, is the auto industry, automakers and suppliers are getting together because this threat is big enough and no one of them is going to be able to solve this issue on its own. It's, it's uh, as I said, information sharing and assessment. So sounds like everybody in the industry or, or certainly a lot of companies in the industry are getting together on this. Absolutely. And in, in fact, what you'll hear in the ISAC is the phrase, an attack on one is an attack on all. Uh, and there is strength in our numbers, uh, as Bob indicated. Uh, ha having the opportunity to get together like this, build the relationships, build the trust to be able to share information, to share our, our threat assessments, to share uh, our responses to incidences when they've happened is extremely powerful. And, and what we're continuing to do in this forum is to develop uh, even earlier understanding how we can uh, pool threat assessment information uh, both tactics and techniques to uh, pool collectively uh, better solutions for our electrical uh, components and systems. Stephen, go into a little detail. I mean, how, how do you guys work together? Can you give it, you know, Al sort of gave us the broad view. Can you give us more specifics? Yeah, so obviously it, the competitive landscape from a business perspective, we are competitors, right? GM, Stellantis, all the others are, are competitors. Same with the supply base. But the thing is that Cyber isn't something that we can ignore, and it's not something that there's enough capacity, people educated, to do this on our own. So the information sharing, this event, being with 200 people post-COVID, having face-to-face -face conversations is fantastic because it brings that human touch back to it, and it makes it so that we can make, pick up the phone, have further conversations. Auto ISAC, we meet multiple times a week with different forums and events, and the information is always flowing through, through that activity. So it's, it's, it's great to be here and to be in person on this right now. And there's a lot of, I think, reuse too between components and, and software modules, between a module for, say, GM and one at Stellantis. It might not be 100% identical, but if there's, a, say, a Bluetooth issue, that it could be something that affects not just one single supplier, one single customer in, a sing, in the same way. It could be something that's very broad across the industry. So by attacking it together, we can learn from each other and work on it together. The Robert Bosch company that you work for deals with every single automaker in the world, I think, as the world's largest uh, supplier. Mm -hmm. How's that go? How do you work together specifically when you get to an issue like cyber? Yeah, so I think probably each company probably deals with it a little bit differently. We tend to be more focused on the product-specific area, but uh, we do have regular meetings where we're aligning with the product security officers for the different divisions. We have uh, alignment internally with, uh, say, a GM team or a Stellantis team where we're trying to be aware of what's going on for the products that we're doing for a certain customer, and we treat it in the same way. And... Uh, I think that we use the Auto Isaac also as another way that we can share information and get feedback from, um, say, other 
companies doing, trying to do the same thing to make sure that we're benchmarked and not way off uh, on the, our approach. Al, same question in reverse. General Motors works with just about every supplier that's out there. How do you work with your suppliers to ensure that they are working on things vis-a-vis cybersecurity? It's much like Bob uh, described, in which um, our security experts are providing requirements uh, as it relates to the security controls that we've defined for a given vehicle, given application, a connected vehicle, for instance. Uh, we have security controls that we define in our requirements and we provide them to our suppliers. Uh, from there, we meet with our suppliers to review their designs, uh, to re review their implementations, understand their testing. Uh, so that, that constant uh, touch point, that, that, that constant meeting with our suppliers is key. Uh, for um, uh, a, a big supplier like Bosch, we also have quarterly meetings where we talk about cybersecurity, not just for the components and the systems that are in implementation, but strategically bigger picture, you know, what's going on for our companies as we work together and relate together. So uh, there are general touch points like that one, uh, the quarterly meetups, and then there are specific uh, 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 meetings, workshops, uh, peer reviews, design reviews, et cetera. Stephen, how do you keep track of all this? I mean, there's thousands of parts that go into a car that come from hundreds, if not even more than that, number of suppliers. All those chips, all that software on it, it would seem to me that, boy, th there could be a lot of leaks coming in that way. Yeah, so we, we deal with this through relationship, okay? So there's a small, relatively number of cyber-focused individuals at any one OEM. And my cybersecurity experts are interacting with the design release engineer. That, that's the primary person between the OEM and the supplier. Okay, so there's that relationship. As uh, Al mentioned, in contract, a whole list of requirements which are then reviewed, and the, the design is reviewed, the implementation, but it's that relationship of my cyber experts working with those design release engineers to then work with the supplier, and then it's the cyber community on top of that that's talking between companies to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And I think cybersecurity is also a, it's a little bit softer, maybe a different type of goal that you have. So in the braking world, we can go out to the test track, drive 60 miles an hour on dry pavement and stop in 23.2 meters and, and, and say, that okay, we pass that test. We do it five times and every time it works and we can say, okay, we're good. But with cybersecurity, it's, it's a little bit fuzzier for what you're trying to do and you're trying to prevent something from happening rather than reach a specific goal. Is that what the Auto ISAC part of it is about, is establishing standards, establishing procedures? It's, I think we would say that we share how we're trying to do it and an approach and build consensus. Uh, there's an ISO-SAE joint uh, project at the ISO 21434 that just came out a month ago or so, and that's more of a standard for how to approach security from the automotive perspective. In fact, uh, we uh, have best practices that we're developing as we work together, uh, and, and what we, you, you really want to do is not be overly prescriptive, uh, because there is a diversity in our vehicles and our electrical systems that uh, is actually uh, risk mitigation. It's, it's security by diversity such that um, uh, each vehicle instance or each electrical architecture uh, instance might be different. Uh, so that 
element of uh, standards making is important to realize that we should not be overly prescriptive. Ha have the right uh, best practices, the, the right security control uh, concepts in mind and uh, implement them, but they might be implemented differently but still achieve the same result. Stephen, though, doesn't Europe have uh, more established procedures? And could you go into that then? Sure. So in, in the U.S., we've got NHTSA, and the way they've governed over the last several years is kind of make sure your product is secure and then be ready to respond and, 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 and remediate. The, the UNECE, part of uh, the, the, the global safety regulation that's coming out of Europe right now, along with South Korea and Japan, they're, both, they're all following the UNECE. Um, R155 is a regulation that says security needs to be there from concept through disposal of that vehicle. So there isn't a minute in that vehicle's life cycle where we may ignore security. Um, the way Europe is doing it, a little bit different than, than NHTSA here, is that the vehicle has to go through what's called type approval. It needs to be approved before it can be sold or even uh, registered with, uh, with license. So um, it, it, very similar though, when you look at the, the entire details between the two, they're fairly similar and, and we build cars for the, for the globe and therefore we're, we're trying to definitely meet those standards, but we also recognize that a vehicle lasts 13 to 20 years on average. So the challenge is, what is the threat environment going to look like 15 years from now, and how do we deal with that? So things like over-the-air updates, very popular, coming into play. That is not necessarily a cybersecurity element, but it's a way to deploy the fixes on a fast and broad perspective without impacting the customer, you know, taking them away from their vehicle. Going over the air and updating is, is one of the levers that we're trying to, to use. So how, well, walk me through the process here. There, there's a cyber threat, what happens? Alarms go off, red lights start flashing, it's DEF CON 5, or you, tell me, what do you guys go through when you discover this? So. I can, I can take you through a little scenario of this. Um, luckily, most of our information comes through researchers. So both GM and Stellantis have a, a responsible disclosure program. Um, through, you, you, can, you can report to your dealer your car is not acting properly. You can call our 800 number. You can post uh, via email. And then you can go to our responsible disclosure websites and, 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 and give us information. And that way, the researcher or the person is protected in one way and we receive the information and can start that dialogue. Um, DEFCON 5 could happen, however we've been fortunate to this point where you know, the call comes in, we start the investigation. And we start the investigation with those same security engineers that were there during design. And what does this vehicle look like? What controls do we have in place? And how possibly could one of those controls have failed? or a new threat scenario has developed and you know, we've got to take that into consideration because a vehicle that's 10 years old may not, in, in that case, have another layer of defense. And, and we really look at this as security in layers as well. So when one vulnerability pops up, hopefully there's another control in place that makes it more difficult to, to actually render the vehicle where, where there's an observable problem with it. Mm -hmm. And we've had a couple responsible disclosure, vulnerability disclosure workshops within the Auto Isaac, and I think 
a lot of the companies have that. I mean, suppliers also. So. Going to that a little bit more then, Robert, I mean, uh, Stephen mentioned researchers and the like. I, I imagine you have a bug bounty program, too, where you reward people, yeah, think, white hat hackers, mm -hmm. from discovering vulnerable, vulnerabilities. I think for us, with our bug bounty, it tends more towards the uh, consumer-focused products that we have, like power tools or dishwashers or something like that. For the automotive ones, it, it tends to go more through an OEM, but... Uh, we do have uh, a PCERT web page where you can submit that. There's a policy that explains that if you act in good faith that we're not going to do a lawsuit or something like that. that that's, I think a few years ago that you didn't really have that in the industry. And I think that now most companies have that set up where they have, a say, a friendly relationship with uh, security researchers and, and we learn a lot from there and uh, like participate at DEF CON or... Uh, Gurkhan or some of these other conventions and try to interact with them a little bit, see what they're thinking, and uh, also with the more academic um, conferences to interact with the researchers that are working on it as well. Al, how about General Motors? You guys have a, a bug bounty program? Absolutely. Um, it's referred to as um, a vulnerability disclosure program, uh, not always with a bounty associated with it, but just like these gentlemen uh, described, it's, it's the appreciation for that white hat hacker that, and, and the research uh, that's out there is, is fantastic. And it's important to have a very positive uh, relationship with these individuals because they're doing us a great service by bringing these uh, potential vulnerabilities, which we need to confirm whether or not they're exploitable and, and if there's risk involved in, in driving change. But certainly, if there's a, a vulnerability that's brought to us and we've been given the opportunity to address it before it's uh, published broadly, that's, that's a positive for all of us. So th those researchers are very important. And our, our vulnerability disclosure program with HackerOne is, is, uh, is, is very important to us. And, and reap the benefit for my, my understanding is uh, a lot of these uh, researchers, they're not in it for the money necessarily, exactly. right? It's, in, in some cases, you pay pretty good rewards, right? In other cases, it's maybe a couple of hundred bucks or something. We have paid, but you're exactly right. It's, it's, the, it, it's the recognition, it's the uh, regard, and it's the opportunity to, to, to deal with colleagues, uh, industry experts, uh, uh, working with the research teams, uh, is, is a very strong relationship. We, we, we also work with universities. We work with uh, a number of uh, companies, third parties, uh, that help us in our testing, that help us uh, in a variety of ways. So uh, the, the strength in numbers concept is, is very much leveraged as we execute our security principles. Stephen, you mentioned dealers, too. What role do they play in the cybersecurity? Dealers are the frontline customer service aspect, too, from the sales process, service, and parts. So, you know, they're, they're one extension in, our, in our, our business. And, you know, when you have an issue with your vehicle, that's typically where you go first, right? whatever's happening. Um, and, and not everything is a cyber incident, and most are not, but it is one channel that, that does get back to us and, and we can investigate through. So Robert, talk a little bit more about uh, the auto ISEC in, in the sense of how well are companies in the industry participating in it? And are you really feeling like you're getting good things out of it? Yeah, so I've been involved with the, the Global Task Force and uh, chairing their 
outreach into Europe for the past two years. And that's one, I think that they're a little bit behind us in uh, getting an Isaac set up. And we have an executive director that just started a few months ago there in Germany. Um, and I think that we've gotten a good level of trust where we can share about our processes. And we've, I think, built relationships with, uh, from an, a supplier perspective with most of our OEMs where we uh, talk about say the the big level problems and then also some specific detailed related programs problems and I uh, I would say that it's uh, as we're doing developing these that it, it helps us a lot to be able to have this connection where we can chat about are you sure you want to do it this way or maybe not that way and in a friendly environment it's much better than just getting a spec and say meet my spec and then not be aware of some of the ramifications on that. So I would say that we've had good progress sharing with our customers and also with our suppliers and co competitors as well. Al, how do you see it? I mean, how long has the auto ISAC been around and how much has it grown in that time? Uh, the, the, uh, the auto ISAC has been around for um, a number of years, uh, but I, I will say that uh, as far as the growth over time in the trust, uh, that trust grows with the sharing. So the, the more that we work together and share together, the trust continues to grow, and then the more we share. And so uh, it, it builds on itself, and it, um, it's uh, growth that I think we've seen uh, in recent times, uh, for sure, because we are sharing, and, and we've demonstrated uh, in particular instances where we share together, where uh, we, we've kind of opened uh, the books to give a breakdown of you know what was root cause and what actions were taken and, and uh, how did you respond and being able to share that information and then we can take that example and run our playbooks to uh, to determine you know how we would have reacted as an OEM uh, to make sure that we're covered as well. So the more we share, the better we share, and I, I think we're growing in that trust. All sounds pretty good. Are there other things the Auto ISAC should be doing? So we're. We're, we're involved with a number of government agencies and things like that, and, and there is a maturity that comes with cybersecurity. We're, we're not at the end of that path, nor do I think we ever will be, but we're definitely better than we were several years ago, and we're making progress every year, every step of the way as we go through sharing. So there is, uh, there, there's things like supply chain, been a big problem for many in the in, in not only automotive but elsewhere. So we're tackling these issues and taking a look to work through that with, with all the others in, in different industries as well. Does the auto industry need new technology in this or is it more ISAC, more collaboration, more processes? So from a cybersecurity perspective, we leverage controls that some were provided by the Department of Defense and, and other national type agencies. So it's not that the control we're using is secret or proprietary. Realistically, when, when you look at cryptography, what's the secret piece is, is your key. Your key, the lock is there and, and, and you put it on, right? Um, so I think that sharing is, is good because it's not a competitive thing. It, it, it keeps us here and moving forward for, uh, for the time to come. Robert, same thing. Do we yeah. need new technology or it's, it's processes in the auto ISAC sharing? I would say that the car from 2030 will look very different from a car from 2021. So the, as we're getting more connected and more 
leverage in our, um, in our, in our, what the products can, or the modules can do in the car that it is new technology that we're, we're developing to support it. But as, as Steve had said, that the, the basic tools that we're using are, are understood. It's the uh, application of them. Instead of having a big computer, you have a, a small microcontroller inside your airbag or braking controller that you're trying to put security into something that's very different than putting it into your PC. And I think as we've been doing uh, like security awareness training within our company that uh, we've seen that security really touches every aspect. And it's, it's not just like a don't click on your email saying you want an electric Hummer. And, uh, but it's really for the products that we have that do you, from the selling, when we're talking with our customers, to product development and to the manufacturing, it, it, it touches everything. So, so from the other perspective, the vehicle is evolving, right? With, with electric vehicle, we're now starting to get rid of fossil fuel, gas tanks, things like that. Those were protected more with physical controls, vents and things like that. As we move to autonomous vehicles, we're now starting to talk about removing the steering wheel, which is physically connected to the front tires or, or the turnable wheels, and the brake pedal, because we're removing the human from actually moving the vehicle. So more electronic signals are being sent, and we need to secure those effectively, and we are. We're working through that. Like I said, we start at concept, and as these concepts evolve and come to fruition, the security is applied during the design and requirements phases. Absolutely. It, it's the market that is driving this, that's demanding this. So our, our, our customers want to be connected. We're driving technologies, and, and our GM vision is, is zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. Uh, we and maybe need you got to add another zero, zero cyber hacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we need to uh, develop new technologies that do require evolved uh, security controls as well, just as Steve and Bob mentioned. Real good. I'm afraid with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Al Adams from General Motors, uh, Robert Kastner from Bosch, and Stephen McKnight from Stellantis, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed where the auto industry stands with cybersecurity. Thanks for having us. Thank you. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. 